Well, hello and welcome to today's webinar. I'm Mark Graben from Kinexus. We're very excited um, to be presenting, hosting this today um, for our presenter, Simon Murray, who's going to be giving a, a talk titled Six Weeks to Success, How to Double Your Output and Have Your Stress by Using Six-Week Improvement Cycles. Um, so again, Simon Murray coming here from Melbourne, Australia. I'll give a little bit more of an introduction uh, to him, but Simon, why don't you say hello and let everyone get a glimpse into uh, your nice accent. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> Good morning. Bright and early to you. So um, um, so with that, let me more formally introduce um, Simon Murray, who's been a good friend of Kinexus over the years. Um, Simon, I'm going to ask a question real quick. When was the first webinar that you did? I don't have that handy. Well, I think it'd be maybe two, three years ago now. It's been a, it's been that a while sounds ago. right. So that, that's in the webinar library. We'll encourage people to go and um, check that out afterwards so you can get more um, great thoughts from Simon. But as it says in the bio, and I've learned Simon means this quite literally, that he has worked and helped with organizations from bricks to bread. I thought maybe that was an Australian expression, but no, that's quite literally. Um, he, and you hear uh, Simon talk about that in the video we did as a bit of a preview um, for the session. But he spent the last 20 years creating, leading, and coaching high-performance manufacturing teams. Um, but I know what Simon has to share today will have relevance and uh, application to uh, people regardless of their industry. Um, so in 2012, Simon founded um, Your Maintenance Coach and has worked with dozens of businesses um, across four continents. And that probably maps, I bet we have attendees in today's webinar um, from four continents. So uh, with that, Simon, let me go ahead and turn it over to you. I'm really excited to see and hear what you're going to present today. Thank you, Mark. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us. So today, what I want to share with you is how I've moved <clears throat> the vast majority of my non-day-to-day -day business activity and also some of the project activities of my clients, and we've moved them into six-week cycles. So what I'm going to share and show is it's tools and tactics that have come from a variety of places, as always with these things. Some have come from lean environments, some have come from software development. And what I've done over time is kind of twisted all of that together so it's, it's practical for, for the vast majority of people. Now, who's this for? Where does it work? Now, obviously, we're looking at, looking at people who can have projects that can be completed within six weeks. So we're not looking at, you know, building buildings or roads or major infrastructure stuff here. Where this works really well are for businesses who've got lots of improvement ideas coming through and they want to they want to put them together and enable their teams and empower their people to actually go and implement. So that's what this is all about. Now, you might have no process at all, in which case I'm going to give you something that you can pick up and take away, templates and all. Or you might have a good process that's working, in which case I encourage you to just see which bits you can pull out of this and, and help sort of improve what you're already doing. Now, as Mark said, I've worked with, fortunately, worked with dozens of businesses around the world. And as I look at these logos, it's interesting to see that there's businesses on here that are one site and less than a million dollars in revenue. And there's businesses here that are 50 plus sites and billions of dollars in revenue. And it's interesting to see that majoritively it's the same problem I fix for these people. And usually what happens is I get brought in or called in, come and teach us some new tools, new techniques, come and train us in some stuff. We need to move quicker. 
But when I you know, scratch the surface and dig a bit deeper, what I normally find is that it's not the knowledge and the tools that people need. It's actually help with sustainable implementation. And that's often where these things fall over. So as a, a, you know, as a, a product of that, I spend a lot of my time, probably 50% of my time is researching new tools, tactics, techniques, the latest technology. But the other half is in this sort of change management process and, and looking at how can I learn more and tailor different techniques to help clients do that. So over the years, I've used, you know, I've played with Scrum, played with Agile, I've used self-directed teams, I've used micromanagement, and I've used no management at all. And each of these have had different results. But I can say, you know, I've been using this six-week cycle now since the beginning of this year. So I'm on about my fifth, fifth cycle. And I can say this has been the one that's really, it's really taken away the red tape and the process and allowed me to get more done. So I'm going to share that with you today. Before we get into all the tools and the templates, what I really want to dig a bit deep on, though, is the, is the why and some of the problems that we're, we're trying to fix. So let's have a look at the problem that I used to have and the problem that I, you know, when I was working in the corporates, I used to create for myself. And this is the problem that, that you may have, too. So the first one, the first big challenge I see with implementation is people go chasing shiny things. And often this is because, you know, we set project objectives, project timelines that they're quite long. You know, if you're working on a project or an objective, that's a, a year, an annual goal, you know, and something nice and shiny comes along, then your brain thinks, geez, I can't miss this opportunity now. I can't wait a year. Let's go and get it. And then you chase this shiny thing, you go down the rabbit hole, and then you forget what you were working on in the first place. So chasing shiny things is a, is a real problem for people, and it just, it just stops implementation dead. The second big problem I see is that there's too much detail in the planning stage. And I realize this is contradictory to anything any of us have ever taught. You know, my background is an engineer. I've done lots of project management. I've done lots of work as a planner. So planning and detail, it's what I do, and it's what I do best. So when I came across this process where someone said to me, don't plan so much, just understand the objective and move into the project, that was, that was quite a, a shift in mindset for me. But again, when I look at clients who are struggling with the implementation and struggling to maintain the consistency of implementation, I always find that they've gone into too much detail at the beginning. And what they've done in going into that detail is actually tied themselves in a bit of a knot where they've... They've been too sort of specific in what they want to achieve and how they're going to achieve it. So they've got no wiggle room as they go through the project. And then the third one, the third problem is we've got a disengaged team. Now, as my, you know, when Mark was doing the introductions, lots of you are in that, that lean CI space, which is great. And, you know, you'll be no strangers then to the benefits of the engaged team. The more we can empower our team to actually do the work for us and, you know, and we lead them, the better everything is. But when the team are disengaged from the project at hand, and I've seen lots of this, it could be a corporate initiative, it could be some firefighting that we've got to deal with quickly. So there's a whole variety of different reasons this happens. But when the team are disengaged, you're just not gonna get the results. And for us as the leader, it means there's, there's just no progress. But there's the opportunity. And I wanna share with you now quickly the, the things that, that this six-week cycle has allowed me to do? What happens when we do things right? Well, the first one is that we can keep focus. 
So because we're only talking about focusing on something for six weeks, when those shiny things do come through or the new corporate initiatives, our brain knows, hey, it's only six weeks. Let's just park that to the side and we'll deal with it when, it's, when we're ready. The other thing with it being six weeks is in the process I'm going to show you, we're going to actually cut off all the other options and we're going to get the team, the department, the business to kind of agree and have consensus that what we're deciding to do now is the most important thing. So the business then stops throwing all these other things in at you as well. Second one. So instead of having too much information, instead of over planning, I'm going to show you how to get the, the amount of planning and information just right. So just like Goldilocks, not too hot, too cold, but just right. Because you can have too much information. You can have too little information. And what we're going to do as part of this six-week process is we're going to launch with just the right amount of planning and information that allows us to, you know, to both as a leader control the project, but also enable the team to actually put their own stamp on it and move forward. Thirdly, this process is going to allow you to, to let the team lead. So as I say, as a, as a leader, as a manager, you can, you can monitor and, and see what's going on with the process, but the team are actually going to be able to lead this through. I started, excuse me, started kicking off this with a new client last week, and the team members, there's no managers on the team. In fact, it's the first, I suppose, what the supervisor, the person who's leading the project is the first time they've stood up and actually taken control, and they're working with the peers, and it works, works really well. So with all of that back together, we end up with a winning team. And that's, that's really what this is all about. So, okay. I want to, I call this project fatigue. I'm sure there's a, there's a much better scientific, scientific um, name for it. And um, I have to apologize to Mark in advance for the, for the state of my charts. I know he'll, uh, he'll critique them as we go. But what I want to talk about here is, is what happens when we've got goals at different stages. So what I generally see, let's say we've got a one-year goal, one-year project, one-year objective. And I want you to think of this line as, look, this can be enthusiasm. It can be the results. It can be momentum through the year. And, and generally what I see is, look, you get a one-year project. We all start the year off, you know, let's go get this. But it takes a bit of time to ramp up because everyone's saying, oh, you know, we've got a full year. We can take our time a little bit. So it takes a bit of time to get to the peak. Then as the year goes on, you know, we've got some, some dips and, you know, we might chase some shiny things and people are off sick and things get busy. So we've got some ups and downs. Then midway through the year, potentially something happens. The manager changes. There's a big new corporate initiative. We've got some new software coming. Another new project comes over the top of us and all our momentum drops. And the problem here is that when all that momentum drops, what invariably happens is the team realize, hang on, this project we're working on, we, we defined this six months ago. It's not actually important anymore. We're potentially working on the wrong things. So then, of course, though, comes performance appraisal time. And there's a big ramp up again. Got to get this project done because I mean, performance appraisal depends upon it. So you get this massive burst of energy and enthusiasm. But really what's happening is everyone knows we've lost, we've lost enthusiasm for this project. We know it's not the most important thing we can be working on. So down the momentum drops and we finish off with the year. So, of course, when we move to quarterly goals, this improves a little bit, but not by a huge amount. 
And what I see with quarterly goals is we start off our quarter, we get a big burst of activity, we can maintain it, but it's very difficult to maintain high performance input and momentum for, for 90 days. It's a long time. So I'm variable, you know, towards the end of that quarter, our momentum starts to die off. Second quarter, people can be a little bit wary of what's been going on. So that's a bit flat. Third quarter, a little bit more enthusiasm. But then by the time we get to the end of the year, you know, it's just this again. But people are starting to think about next year and it, it all becomes a bit of a, a bit of a mess. So let me share with you six week cycles. And there's an important difference. You know, I work with a lot of people, a lot of businesses who use focused improvement teams on six week cycles. So, but this one's a little bit different. And the reason this one's a little bit different, as you can see here, I've drawn big, thick green lines. And each one of those is a two week break in the six week cycle. So I talk about six week cycle, but it's actually an eight week cycle with two weeks off. And here you can see what happens with the momentum because you've only got six weeks to get something done. You kick in hard. It's quick. It's easy to get that momentum and sustain it for six weeks. Because six weeks, it's like a sprint instead of a instead of a marathon. At the end of your six weeks, we're going to take two weeks to cool down, to reflect and clean up on what we've done, but also to start planning the next six weeks. Now, I don't know about you, but I've worked on plenty of plenty of activities where we finish a project on a Friday and we've got to start a new one on a Monday. And so, well, when? When do we get to time to plan it, prepare it, to see if it's even the right thing? This process I'm going to share with you takes all of that away. Now, what we really want to look at then is how do we sustain this momentum all the way across? Because, you know, first couple of quarters, you're going to be getting used to the process. Four, five, and six. Um, and I, I, I say, I can tell you this from experience, four, five, and six is really where you hit your stride. And it just, the momentum builds and it just becomes so easy to use. So for the rest of the rest of the presentation, what I want you to consider is what we're talking about is how to really how to keep this blue line where you want it. How do you keep your team or yourself? Because I do some projects on my own. Um, how do you keep your team and yourself in that in that zone where you're really operating at 100 percent on this project? It doesn't have to be 100 percent eight hours a day. Sometimes this might be half an hour a day, might be 15 minutes a day. But that momentum is up there and it's high. Okay, let me share with you the three must-haves. So when I've boiled all this down, I'll go through these three must-haves and we'll have a look at the have a look at the questions before I get into the to the worksheets. So the three must-haves. Um, first one, the team needs to choose the project. You know, we spoke about an engaged team. Without an engaged team, they're not going to sustain that momentum. So what's the best way to engage a team? Well, I found the best way to engage the team is you let them choose the project. And I'm going to show you a a very simple way to, to get them involved and pick what projects are important to them right now. And the analogy I use here is, is the children's party. Has you ever noticed the birthday boy or the birthday girl, they always, they always have an amazing day. Well, why is that? Well, it's because they chose the cake. They chose where they're going. They chose all the sweets and the lollies. And <clears throat> excuse me, they chose, they chose the venue. And more importantly, a month before, they started telling all their friends about it. They sent invitations. They've drummed up all this enthusiasm. There's a, there's a big buildup about this party. So by the time everybody gets there, there's an emotion, a really vested emotional interest in making it successful. And if you can run your projects like that, 
and it's, it's going to make a huge difference. <clears throat> so number two, got to get some quick wins. Now, my first sort of, you know, experience to, to, to sort of improvement projects and they were, okay, we've got to start slow. Let's spend a week gathering data. Let's spend a week analyzing that data and speaking to everybody. And there, is, there are projects where that's appropriate and necessary. The projects I'm talking about here, though, you already know the answer to. Yeah, you already know what you're going to do. You know, there's no point gathering data. Just, just chat to the guys on the line or chat to the people in the, you know, in the workplace. They know the answers. You don't need to spend a week gathering data. And I want to show you the story, <clears throat> brief story about a friend of mine called Taki, and he's a Taki's a coffee lover, hence the picture. And a few years ago, his wife thought, you know, Christmas present, let's buy Taki a coffee making lesson. So Taki went off to his coffee making lesson. He walks into the local cafe and all the chairs are laid out like a, you know, like a, a seminar. The guy stood up at the front and started rattling off the names of the equipment. He started rattling off how to roast coffee beans, all these different technical aspects. But Taki, Taki's in marketing, Taki's a bit flamboyant. He wanted to be making coffee. So he got up and walked out, not going back. And for me, that was the equivalent of all this data collection. <clears throat> few years later, and that was actually this Christmas just gone, Taki's wife said, right, let's, let's try this again. This time, he walked into a different cafe. No chairs, just an apron on the counter. The guy led, led Taki, put his apron on, went behind the counter. You know, so there's all this coffee, hot milk already laid out. And they spent two hours just playing about trying to do the latte art, you know, trying to make the pretty pictures on the top of the coffee. Now, was Taki very good at it? No, he wasn't. But what he did, that gave him a taste of what success was going to look like in six weeks' time. And because he, had a, he knew what he could achieve, he knew where his gaps were, he had to go to all of those little lessons in between. So, of course, that's, that's why he went. Um, he didn't get much, back, much better at the, the latte art, but he did go to all of those lessons. So the, the lesson there is, is get some quick wins early on. And when you're setting up a project, you know what these are. There's things that people can just go and implement straight away. You know, the best ones I've seen are these. Actually, it's the 80% of the gains that are made in, you know, your first 20% of time. That 20% of time is the first week. You know, what gains can you make in that first week? And thirdly, this is the important bit. And I think this is what differentiates this process from nearly any other process I've used. And that's the cool down period. That's having this two weeks gap and that two weeks where you come to the end of your, your high intense work, you're going to take a rest, reflect, do some tidy up, get back to your day job. You know, again, as I say, I do a lot of looking at a lot of tools that have come from the software industry. They forget people do projects as an addition to their day job. So this cool down allows you to get back to that. Pick up all the things you have missed or forgotten and regroup for the next cycle as well. So they're the three important traits. So what we might do now is I'll, I'll ask Mark to, to pick out a question or two, just so I can, I can grab a, a glass of water. And then we'll jump into the actual, the actual tactics of, um, the, actual tactics of the, the process. Um, sure, so one question about the team choosing. Um, I can see how that would help in terms of motivation and engagement, but at what point do you try to balance with the needs of the organization? 
Excellent question. Excellent question. It's to to me that comes into it's it's the leadership element of how you sell the story. Um, <clears throat> that's really what it comes down to. But what what I what I also come down to is if if what the team feel is important to them is in such direct direct conflict with the organizational goals, you've probably got a deeper issue there that needs to be addressed. Um, so that's really what I go with. It's very rare that I've very rare. If the process is set up properly with you know, cascading goals and there's, there's good culture and engagement, it's very rare that the people are so disaligned with the corporate objectives. Yeah. So hopefully that, hopefully that answers in a – I realize it's not the way to go and fix it, but, yeah, it's probably a deeper, a deeper challenge that you have there. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And I've, I've seen in different settings, um, settings asking the team what they want to work on more often than not, is very highly aligned with what management would have wanted them to work on. And then when that team has that ownership and that that, that goes deeper than motivation, like motivation might get you started, but I think that sense of ownership is what keeps people pushing through to really go accomplish something. That's right. And as, as I'll show you in some of the future slides, the you know, it's not a case of just picking up random ideas to work on. They're, they're picking from a structured pre-approved list as well. So you've already vetted and gone through that place. Okay. Thanks, Simon. Okay. And then we'll ask people, yeah, feel free, uh, go ahead and please keep submitting questions um, along the way as we go. Thank you. Right. Let's get into the tactics. Now, I want to share with you first, this, this whole process has come from a, from a book. So I'll tell you where it's come from. It's come from a book called Shape Up. Um, Shape Up is the latest book from the guys who've developed software called Basecamp, and it's kind of task management, um, and it's software. Um, and these guys, if you haven't read any of their books, it's well worth reading because they approach things in a, a very, very different way. Now, their scenario is I think they've got about 12 programmers all around the globe, um, and they use this process. They're kind of a self-directed team. Um, so what I've done is taken their ideas where – the programmers and the software engineers are in a project 24-7 and stripped out, retailed it and adjusted it a little bit so that you can take it back to your business and, and make it work. So it all starts with, with the project cycle. Let me take you through the project cycle. There's a couple of stages to this, and, and I don't think this will be anything massively new to a lot of you. So the project cycle starts with, with what they call the pitch. So if you imagine you've got all your ideas coming in, all your requests, all of your suggestions, they're all coming into your, to your pitch. And the idea here, and I'm going to go into this in more detail in the following slides, but the idea here is the pitch is we're justifying our project. So let's just come back to the question that we've just answered is if somebody's got an idea or a project they want to work on, it's got to be justified to the business. So this is a mini justification. All of the successful pitches, so these are really the projects or the ideas or the, the initiatives that somebody, the organization has said, yep, they're good to go. We're going to work on that at some point. They then go into our project list. <clears throat> and our project list can be anywhere. You know, it could be, could be on paper. It could be in Excel. It could be in software such as Kinexus. All of these different places. People have their project lists all over the place. But what's important with the project list is that it's it's clean. You know, these are projects. These aren't the idea list. These are things that the business has said 
These are approved things we will work on at some point. So what do we do with them? Well, then we've got a process called the betting table. <clears throat> and this is where the team get to start, get, start to get involved to work out what are we going to use? What are we going to work on? And the reason that the Basecamp guys call it a bet rather than prioritization or project selection or any of the other kind of quite dry terms we have for it is that when you pick your project, you're actually placing the bet on it. And in their language, you can't go back on the bet. So they're actually, you know, it's the bet. It's the project we've chosen. <clears throat> then very simply, we move into a project plan. Um, for those of you who like visual, um, I'm going to show you the templates. So behind my shoulder, this is, this is my setup for this six-week cycle behind me. So it's a very visual process. The project plan, it might scare some of you because there's no Gantt chart. There's no dates. There's no accountability on it. It's, it's about people taking ownership and responsibility to get stuff done. So I promise you now the project plan will terrify some of you. For others... It is, it is a big relief. Um, you know, where I find the, the engineers, the technical of us, kind of kind of bit slow to adapt on this. Those of us in the business in marketing, sales, you know, that, that sort of right brain, right side of the brain thinkers, they just adapt to this like a duck to water. And then I'm going to show you the tracker. So again, no complicated project reports. We're just going to show you a quick visual way. How do we move our post-it notes across the board? So the pitch and the project list, these are happening all the time. So these are things you're already doing, idea generation, um, vetting projects, putting them on the list. You're cleaning the project list and doing your betting table, picking the next set of projects. These are happening in your cool down. And then the project plan and the tracker, this is what we do in our six-week cycle. So let me show you what this all this, all this actually looks like. So our pitch. First stage of generating our, our pitch is to generate the ideas. As I say, you're already doing this. Might be blitzes, general ideas coming in, improvement requests, focused areas. And you're going to have, out of all of that, there's going to be a good chunk of just do it type stuff. Now, there's going to be a chunk of projects and activities in there that don't quite fit with this process. And there's, there's always some. But there's going to be a good chunk of work that's coming into your system that's perfect to get a team together to focus them for six weeks or a group of activities. Yeah. So you, in this, you really want to pick what's a theme? What could be a theme for six weeks? You know, my, my theme for this six weeks is, is webinars and conferences. So I've got quite a few of them. So all of my activities are based in that space. So you've got your ideas. The pitch is about shaping that initial idea. You know, people I often see put in abstract problems or, you know, this is, this is the problem. This is, this is what's a bit of a pain. I want this fixed. And it's too abstract. No one, no one knows how to fix it. At the other extreme, some people put in such detailed solutions that there's, no, there's almost no fun forming a project team to go and actually action it. So what we want to do here with this pitch is we're actually shaping these abstract ideas. We're getting them somewhere in the middle because your concrete solutions, they're great for that person, but they may not suit everybody. Your abstract solutions don't work for anybody. So we want to work out how do we shape it? And this is kind of similar to, you know, what would this be similar to? This is similar to your, your internal project, you know, almost a, an A3 type thinking, but in a slightly different way. 
So the pitch, what do the base camp guys put on their pitch? Well, obviously they, they define the problem, the raw idea, what's the problem we're having? This is an interesting one, number two. You won't, I don't see this many other places. They define the appetite. So how willing are we to actually fix this problem? Do we have the resources? Do we have the money? Is it a problem that matters to everybody or is it just one person? And that's, that's very, you know, that's not a, that's not a numbers metric. That's a, you know, it's appetite. Do you feel hungry? Do, do we really want to go for this one? And this now, as, as people are starting to develop this thinking around the project, around the justification of it, this gets, this starts to, it changes the engagement level. Thirdly, on the pitch, we're going to talk about the solution. So what solution have we thought of? Again, it's not concrete, but it can't be abstract either. And when we talk solutions, I always talk about in the outcome. You know, in, in the software development, they talk about what does, what does finished look like? What does the shipped product look like? We're not talking in the solution about how to get there or the technology behind it, but what does it look like? Number four of five, what are the rabbit holes? Again, another one I don't often see in our project scopes, but the rabbit holes are, okay, this is the solution I want, but these are the things you need to be careful of as a project team when you're looking at that solution. So it might be, look, I, I need a solution of, I need all of my position descriptions rewriting for the department. That could be a, a project. But the rabbit holes are corporate HR are working on something separately. You best check with them. So rabbit holes start your thinking around who else is this project affecting? And finally, the important one, no-goes. So what's out of scope for this project? So if a look at that, we've got, you know, we've got somebody's come up with an idea, be it Blitz, wherever it's come from, and they've really put together a bit of a justification for that idea. And the clients I'm working with at the moment, they use this every, every week or every couple of weeks. They, they present their pitches to management almost as a, hey, I want this put in on the project list. So that pitch is that person who's put it together has got, now that they've put a bit more effort in rather than just complaining about a problem or a random idea, they've actually thought it through a bit more. And management have got a bit more of an understanding of, of what's going to go through. So that pitch, when approved, goes onto our project list. Now, there's not a huge amount I can tell you about the project list. You know, it's, as I say, it could be, could be a spreadsheet, could be a Kinexus, could be on paper, but somewhere in your business, there's a big long list of all these things we want to work on. And in your two-week cool-down, you know, for, for some of you who aren't currently on projects, this year, your two-week cool-down could start on Monday. First thing to do is go through that project list. And what you want to do in that cycle is clean out the rubbish. So, you know, like a, like a bucket list, it needs to be reviewed now and again. Sometimes you'll go in and you've already done things. Some things aren't valid anymore. So we're cleaning out all of these projects that just shouldn't be in there. The second thing to do during this two-week cycle, uh, two-week cool-down with the list is to pick a theme. So I always look at it and, and say, okay, we've got all these projects. Do they naturally group together anywhere? Or to the question before, is there a corporate initiative coming through? So often, you know, I work with people and they say, look, our next six weeks, we've really got this, got to get this new product, product off the ground. Or we, we've had a real you know, a couple of months with poor safety record. Let's focus on safety. So then you're going through this list and you, 
you're looking for where you can group them and you're looking for the important ones. So the outcome of that process is that you've gone through your list and you've picked out all of the things that the business has the appetite to work on in the next six-week cycle. So I want you to go through and you're saying, what could we possibly work on? Because you'll know yourself, you go through, you might have 50 to 100 projects, maybe more on your list. Some of them, the time's just not right. But some of them, you know, now's the time I should be working on that. So what do we do with them next? So this is where we start engaging the team. So this is where the team and the team can be involved in that process, too. And the team, when they're involved in that, they're automatically disc, you know, um, put into the side some of the projects that they may have wanted to work on. But because it's a discussion that they now understand that's not going to happen right now. So we move over to our betting table. And this is the simplest prioritization project decision making metrics I've ever seen. So across the bottom, how easy, how much impact is it going to have? And of course, we, we, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be valid without some, some traffic-like colors. And all we're going to do here is take all of these projects that we think now is the right time, put each one on a post-it note, and drop them on the board. It's as simple as that. And if you're doing this as a team, then that's where the team gets to sort of pick their projects. If you're doing it as a facilitated exercise as a leader, that's your opportunity to be able to sort of influence your team to make sure the corporate objectives and the team objectives are met as well. So there's a bit of, you know, there's a little bit of song and dance in there. There's a little bit of magic as well, depending on how you, you interact with your team. But the outcome of this, the, the, you know, the final, the final step of that is that all of the people have picked their own projects. So you're going to get that engagement. And if there's people who aren't 100% on board, that's the time to fix it now before you get into that six-week cycle. So a couple of things to point out here. The projects you pick, they're obviously relevant to what's important now. Might meet your department needs. Might meet, you know, it might be a certain point of where you are in the, the, the calendar. And you're making the decision, you know, and I, I always come back, I've made a note here, there's, you know, decision comes from, and I always come back to this, comes back from the Latin word, which means to cut off. So you're not actually, you know, the decision isn't about picking one thing, it's about cutting off all of the other options. It's about saying out of our 50 or 60 projects on the list, we've decided to do this one or two. So there's 48 projects we're not doing. That's the important distinction here. What are you not doing? And in deciding what you're not doing, that's where you get your focus. What next? Okay, so now it is time to get the projects mapped out, to, to hand over to the project team and get things moving. And we do that. This is, this is what I use as the project plan. No Gantt charts, no trackers, no dates, because we know the date is six weeks. That's not negotiable. And I'm going to take you through, I've put some, put a bit of a bit of an example in here, but this comes from a company called Strategic Coach, and it's called the Impact Filter. Um, and the Impact Filter, it's, it's, a, it's laid out very different to this, but I encourage you to have a look at it because it, it really takes out, when you look at the project plans in it and the way tasks are approached, it's all about the emotions and the engagement and the purpose of the project. Because we can often lose sight of that. You know, we're all, we're all in continuous improvement. We're all measuring things, be it dollars or performance or efficiency, defects, quality, waste. Sometimes we can lose touch with the actual purpose of what we're doing that for. And this fixes that. 
Let me take you through it. What's our problem? Let's say, for example, we don't get enough ideas generated from frontline staff. I think most businesses I've worked with have had that problem at some point, particularly as you're starting an initiative off. So it's very, you know, it's very tangible. Okay. What's our outcome? Well, an outcome could be we want a 50% increase in the number of ideas generated and implemented by frontline staff. That's a, that's a pretty good outcome. But why do we want that? You know, a, where I see people struggle is they stop at that level. So it becomes very numeric. And we can go and get that 50% increase pretty quickly by just telling people to do more. But that's not the way we want to do it. So I encourage you to dig deeper into the purpose. And this comes back, you know, Simon Sinek, start with why. This is the why. I don't start with why on here because I find when you start with why on a project with people who aren't used to it, they actually struggle to articulate it. But if you can start your problem, then your outcome, then your purpose or your why, it's much easier to actually understand because similar to asking why, why, why. So what about if the purpose of this was we want to truly engage the motivated workforce whose ideas are acknowledged and actioned? How much different is that to a 50% increase in ideas? That's chalk and cheese. And when the project team can come up with something like that together, they're, they're just going to get there on their own. You're not even going to have to measure the 50% ideas because they're driving not now to more ideas. They're driving to an engaged team whose ideas are acknowledged. And that's, you know, they might find other ways to do it. Interesting bit down the bottom, and this gets us thinking about this a little bit more. So what's, what's the best result? I often never get asked to put this in a project. What's the best result? Well, the best result here would be amazing engagement from all with area champions leading the, the idea generation process. You know, you're really starting to get people emotional about this. You know, just, just reading those words in the language, you can feel myself getting excited about it. 50% increase doesn't excite me too much, I've got to say. So that's our, you know, that's our pleasure. We want to drive people towards the pleasure, but we also need to drive people away from the pain of failure. So what's our worst result? Well, our worst result is if, if we don't do it, staff are disengaged, turnover increases, business performance is negatively impacted. Yeah. So if you can set your project templates, and I say the ones on my board, it's, it's literally just this printed out. If you can really define that well for your projects, the people will make it happen. Last bit of this. And this is the bit that scares everybody. There's no individual tasks. Now I've worked on projects where each post-it note was a 15 minute task. And that worked quite well, some industries. What? I found works well here, and you'll see there's only 16 sections. So in mapping out this project, you can't go into infinite detail. And this is the, the kind of the Goldilocks principle. What goes on these post-it notes, and I just use the, the little mini ones, is the outcome of a, a category. So for example, an outcome of this project might be to survey all the staff. You know, underneath that outcome are all the individual tasks of write the survey, issue it, email it, all those micro tasks, as I call them. You don't want them on this board. You want to talk in outcomes, not tasks, because those tasks, they need to put in a calendar. They need a, they need a Gantt chart. They need to be tracked. And you're going to overcomplicate the whole thing. So keep your post-it notes as outcomes only. 
So how do you track this? You know, I can see some of you thinking, oh, there's no, there's no timeline, there's no dates, there's nothing. How am I going to know if, how these are done? Let me show you. So I use the six-week tracker. And you can see here, let me, let me walk you through this. So on our left-hand side is all of our projects. And so I'll show you a photo of mine shortly so you can see exactly how that works. So at the start of the six-week cycle, we've got all our projects down the left-hand side, and they've all got their post-its on. Post-its aren't in any particular order. The gray line at the bottom I use because they're probably the, they're the quick wins. You know, they're the, they're the, the latte art on the coffee. So we, we segregate them out so we know that we're going to start there first. So they're all set up on the board. This chart, by the way, is a, I call it an A1, so it's a poster size size chart. Here's the second important thing on this chart. Now, we've got all these different projects, but I said earlier, what's the theme? And the theme, they all have to come together for something. You, know, you can't just run eight different projects that all take the business in different directions. There has to be a theme. And I use the, you know, the language around the 4DX goal setting. You know, by the specific date, I will increase or decrease line one efficiency from two. So in this example, we'd be looking at by, you know, where are we? By the 31st of October, I will, we will increase, we will increase, this is a project I'm doing myself, but I always use we will increase the number of ideas generated per person from 10 to 15. Clear as light. Everybody knows all these projects we're working on, that's where we're heading. Third step, along the bottom, this is our tracking chart. So the box on the left-hand side is our current state. The box on the right-hand side is our future state. And each week, we're just going to check in how many, how many requests per day are we getting in. Super simple. That's all the tracking that that needs. And then the final bit is the big bit in the middle, which is where we move our post-it notes. And this is traditional Kanban style. Um, you know, so what I do is on a Monday, I will pick off all the post-it notes I want to do this week. Each day, I'll put today's post-it notes on that I know I'm working on. And if they don't get finished, <clears throat> I'll move them down to the stage where they're at. <clears throat> and each post-it note just gets to move along. And, you know, the titles you put across the top are different for every business. I use building it, implementing it, checking it worked, making adjustments, monitoring and impact. And done. Because that's, that's what works for me. But that language in them, you can use whatever you want. <clears throat> So here's a picture of what mine looks like on this board behind me. So you can see on the left-hand side of the screen, we've got our projects. So eight projects there. Um, I generally use eight because there's the eight elements of my business. I've got some sales, marketing, um, general funnels, and then I've got a couple which are very client-specific, so client projects. You can see some of them have nearly finished. A couple of those have already moved all of the post-its over and some of them are finished. And there's a couple there that I'll address later in, you know, later in the cycle. And you can see my tracking board and it's clear as day where, and you're not really looking at, you know, if I really wanted to, I could go and see how progressed is a particular project. Well, what I'm looking at there is how much stuff can I get to done? You know, we're really looking at that visual impact of moving things across the cycle. So that's how it all comes together. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a pleasure to share that with you. I'll hand back to Mark.
Thank you, Simon. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, during Q&A, there might be times where it's worth jumping back to um, some of those templates and then we take a deeper dive um, into that. So it's really interesting to see not only what that is, but how um, you're using that. So thank you. Thank you for that, Simon. So um, we encourage people to continue submitting questions. I'm going to make a few quick announcements here and let Simon um, have some more water or coffee uh, or both. Impressed <laughs> how awake you are at 6 a.m. in Melbourne. <laughs> so, okay, first, uh, if you can advance it, please. Uh, we have uh, upcoming webinars. Uh, next week, we have two special webinars on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, <clears throat> following up on a webinar panel discussion that we did in August with uh, Deandra Wardell as a collaborator on this. So these will be, again, panel style um, discussions. On Tuesday, um, the, the topic uh, is called Plan and Vote for Kindness. And um, so we're gonna have Deandra and uh, a number of women on the panel, including um, some that you'll remember from um, the last session, um, including Karen Ross, uh, Elizabeth Swan, and we'll be joined by some um, additional attendees. And then on Thursday, you know, you might remember the original blog series, um, Root Cause Racism, um, was all women as the bloggers. Well, this time um, the series uh, is all men. And so um, she's titling this other panel, When Brothers Meet at Gemba. Um, it's, a, it's a group, uh, a diverse group of men uh, from all sorts of backgrounds um, talking about um, more on this theme of how we can apply continuous improvement thinking um, to uh, important organizational and social issues. So those webinars are uh, open to everybody. You can register for both of those at kinexus.com slash webinars. And then November, December, and, and moving forward, we will be back into more of our pattern of present presentation style webinars like Simon did today. Um, so next, we want to remind you about our continuous improvement webinar on demand library, which includes um, Simon's previous webinar from a few years back. We also encourage you um, to check out our blog at blog.kinexus.com. We also have uh, a podcast. So the audio from today's webinar will be posted in, whoops, I accidentally muted myself off to error proof that I uh, hit the trackpad. Um, so we have our podcast series, uh, connexus.com slash podcast, or you can find it pretty much anywhere you find podcasts. All right, so with that, um, we'll go ahead and advance it to our Q&A slide. You can see Simon's email address and his website there if you wanna follow up with him uh, directly. So um, we'll, we'll start. I think this is an easy question maybe to get the ball rolling, Simon. Um, mm -hmm. The uh, person says, first off, thanks for sharing, great presentation. Simple, practical question. How do you prevent the post-it notes from falling off? Ah, the, the 20 year secrets, That's, that did take me 15 years to work out. Um, I only use 3M post-it notes and there's no, I don't get any subsidy or any, um, any commission. Um, you have to buy the expensive post-it notes, I'm afraid. That's the only way. But I've, I found the 3M ones work much better than, than anything else. <laughs> There's no substitute for their special adhesive. And, and they do make yeah. some post-it notes that claim to be extra sticky, um, where instead of like one-third at the top glue, they're actually like two-thirds of that glue. Uh, yep. The, the small ones that I use do have a much, seem to have a much higher proportion than, um, than the larger ones. Yeah. All right. 
Uh, so we have another question. This came in from um, Sarah. So in support of services of healthcare IT, many are exhausted in striving to keep the lights on. This is something that people probably face in a lot of different environments. That's my commentary that I'm adding in there. So when you have a team that's exhausted and trying to keep the lights on, how would you add value in a continual service improvement role when there's little time and there are fewer resources available for operations, much less improvement? I'm sure this is something you've faced in a lot of different settings, Simon. Very, very much so. And look, the way traditionally the way I've done it, you know, as Mark said, most of my work is in manufacturing. And when you go to a manufacturer and say, hey, can I have all your operators for two hours a day to work on improvement activities? The answer is no. They've got jobs to do there. You know, whether they're in exhausted and sort of in chaos or they just have to be on the line at their station to work. And the way we've started that is to ask, you have 15, you know, do you do your people have 15 minutes each day to work on improvement activities? Oh yeah, 15 minutes we can do. And you just start with 15 minutes. And so what we did is, and I've done this in, in many organizations, both um, manufacturing and non, and we just said, okay, we would like you every, you know, try and 15 minutes, put it in your calendar, pick a post-it note and go and work on that activity for 15 minutes every day. And that was a good way to get started. Um, the one I suppose we had the most success with that was I work with a, a, a photography company, school photographer. And of course, they just got this massive influx of work and it's, it's like a conveyor belt. So for them to be able to take 15 minutes out of their day was, was pretty much as much as they could do. So it's, it's starting, starting small is the, is the only advice I can give on that because yeah, you're just not going to find you know, lots of time or days on end for improvement projects. So it's how do you, how do you do a tiny little bit each day? Yeah. Because small improvements, yeah, don't require mm -hmm. as much time. I've seen that apply really broadly. And, and I think, you, I mean, I think you ended up addressing this. Um, Percy asked, how do you handle staffing when you need to gather and brainstorm? So what I hear you saying is, get 15 minutes, that's a start, that gets the ball rolling. I'll, I'll add a related question, um, or maybe, oh, I'm sorry, you were gonna add? No, I was gonna say, yes, it's, it's and that, that will get the ball rolling, 15 minutes will, will grow over time. Mm -hmm. So as you, you free, yeah, you free up some time, which gives you more time for improvement, and that becomes a very positive reinforcing cycle then over time, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Um, have you ever, um, had the opportunity to say, try to pull people away for a larger block of time um, by, uh, you know, backfilling, um, bringing in temporary staff or doing something to free up? Or do you, do you think that the, the start small with a small amount of time strategy works well enough for that? That's really what you would recommend. Yeah, look, I think if the business won't support that 15 minutes, that starts small. Now, we're, you know, in manufacturing, you pull people from other areas and sort of drop those in. But I, what I find is that that kind of gets people committed. You know, if you've got to bring people in from outside or cover jobs or other departments, it kind of gets a little bit too hard. Um, but if you can work out that 15 minutes just becomes normal in your organization. You know, manufacturing, it's easy because people, people have a half hour lunch break. So I just ask, what do you normally do for your lunch break? Oh, well, Jimmy comes over and covers. Well, get Jimmy to come over and cover now. Yeah. So it's it's sort of normal behavior anyway. And then then what you can do is say, OK, we've done our 15 minutes every day. 
on Friday, I'd like to take the team out for half a day. Can I bring someone extra in to do that? But that 15 minutes, it also, to me, it, it, it shows you how serious your leadership team is about actually making this happen. Yeah. Where there's a will, there's a way, right? That's right. <laughs> so then uh, final part of Percy's questions, um, how do you or do you get top leadership involved in these improvements? Wow. It's, it's a funny one. To me, that's where it has to start, isn't it? A, um, and and that, that, I think, is, is the pitch. Um, as I say, working, last client to brought this out is, is a school photographer. And, and what they're trying to do is everyone's got there's all these ideas being generated. And they're saying, well, leadership won't support us in them. I said, well, how are you justifying them? And when I looked at what was actually going to the leadership team, it was more, to be honest, it was more complaints and gripes and problems than it was real solutions and improvements. So what we did is we did some training with them around the pitch, how to justify your solution. And one key thing we did, which isn't really part of this process, but we said for every project, I want you to work out which of the business's main KPIs this project supports and how much it will benefit them. Because really to get, to get leadership approval, sponsorship involvement, it's got to, it's got to move them forward. So if I'm trying to get my boss's approval to do a big project, it's got to improve his or her KPIs, not mine. You know, mine as well by default. But you've really got to look in that pitch and the justification. How's this going to help that person and help the organization? Um, another question here from Jose. Um, again, thanks for the presentation, he says. But how do you manage projects the most likely um, – cannot be done as a sprint because you know they can't be completed in six weeks? Do you then convert it to different, smaller sub-projects? Yeah, so I I do when I can. Um, now, I understand, let's just put to the side, there's some projects, if we're building a building or a road, this isn't the, this isn't the thing to use for it. Um, if, we, if we have a project that could be, you know, over the next three months, we're going to refurbish a department or um, roll something out, then it, it is about how do you break that down? Now, in order to do a three-month or six-month project, you, you have to break it down anyway. So really, all you're doing is tracking it in different ways. The, the challenge people see here, though, and this, this is actually where it benefits the organization in a much greater way, is what you're going to do is force yourself to say, not what does six weeks look like, but what can I deliver that's finished in six weeks? So if, if we look at a software development, for example, now, I know Mark and Kinexus, they'll have roadmaps for one, two, potentially three years, but they've broken that down into probably two-week projects. And the, the rule for the programmers is that at the end of the two weeks, something needs to be finished. So when you break it down to six weeks, have a look at what can you do in that six weeks. That means if you had to walk away from everything else, leave it there, you've still delivered value. And that's the important thing. So it's not, it's not a part, it's not a big project broken down into little parts. It's actually something finished. Um, I'm going to give you an example of that. So if it was a, if it was a building, for example, so there's a building going up in Melbourne at the moment, and it's the first time this has been tried in Australia. But normally the building goes all the way up. Then we come in and do the fit out. 
this building is only half built and they've already fitted out the first three floors. So, you know, a month in, I think it was 12 months into construction, this is the highest building in Melbourne, a year into construction, there's people living in the building. So that's what I encourage to come back to that. Split it up into six weeks, yes, what are the first stages? But make sure at the end of your six weeks, you've delivered something of value. Otherwise, people will lose momentum. Yeah. And imagine um, people get better at scoping things out over time. They start learning. I mean, it's always a bit of a prediction or to use the language you used earlier. We're betting that we can do this in six weeks, right? Yeah. All right. Um, There's another question here. Um, Where can I get templates and more detail on filling them out? Do you have some of this on your website, Simon? Um, I don't as of yet, because a lot of them are sort of custom and tailored for me. Um, best place to go, to be honest, is is um, the Shape Up book. That's a, that's a free download. You actually can't buy it yet. It's just a free PDF download. And secondly, the Strategic Coach website has the impact filter on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I'm happy to share, happy to share with you, Mark. I'll send you through the, the tracker um, and we can send that out with the slides as well. Okay, that's fine. Thank you yep. for doing that. And then um, final question here. Have you, you know, you've got the physical board and you've got post-it notes. Have you been able to, or have you had to do experiments with like a virtual version of this board in this day and age? Um, yes, because here in, here in Melbourne, we're in complete lockdown, so nobody can go anywhere. Um, so the last clients have rolled this out, they're using, they're using software. Um, again, you know, the whole process comes from a software company. And when you go through the book, they've actually got all the hill charts and everything already embedded as, as templates, the way they use it. So it works, works just as well. Um, whether you're collaborating on shared boards or it's the post-it notes here. I like the post-it notes because it you know, gives that, gives you that, um, that hit every day when you, when you move something across. Um, but yeah, works, works just as well. You know, the technology's there now. It's, it's not like it used to be where we're, everyone's trying to video and see where the boards are. It's, it's super easy. Yeah. I mean, there are different um, technologies for basically a giant virtual whiteboard. And I would guess it might not be quite the same tactile connection to the brain, but clicking and dragging a virtual post-it note probably has a better effect than something that's just a line item in a spreadsheet, or as you were saying, a, a Gantt chart. Yeah, very much so. You, you must, as I said, that's, that's really the, something has to be physically moved, whether it's, whether it's clicked and dragged or it's a, a post-it note. Um, you know, and, that, and that's why it makes a big difference as well. To, you know, if you've got just updating percentage completions, I never find just doesn't have the same effect. It, you've got to physically move something to done. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, with that, Simon, we are just about perfectly right at the uh, top of the hour. So I want to thank uh, everyone for attending today. I want to thank our presenter, Simon Murray. There was a lot of feedback um, in, the, in the, the Q&A and chat thanking you for the session. I think there were some really um, great practical methodology and some you know, thought-provoking ideas to help challenge some of the way, ways organizations think of uh, projects or improvement work. So um, very much appreciated. And um, again, everyone will be getting a copy of, uh, you'll get an email tomorrow with a link to uh, the recording, the slides, and um, additional links, Simon, we can introduce those. So um, again, Simon, thank you. Thank you so much for coming back and presenting again. Thank you, Mark.